Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany, February 13th, 2022, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26, can be found on page 1600 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're at an interesting place in the gospel of Luke and in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. This section in Luke is sometimes referred to as the Sermon on the Plain, mostly because Jesus does his teaching by standing on a level place. The content of what Luke teaches here is quite similar to the more famous Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 through 7. Now, some commentators would say these are the same events citing verse 12 of Luke 6, saying that Jesus was already on the mountain and had started to come down a little way to address the crowds. Others say that these are two separate events, acknowledging that Jesus often repeated his teaching because he had important words from God to deliver. Well, whatever the case may be, what is important is that Jesus begins here by delivering a similar list to the one that begins the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. We can likewise call this list, and it is in many of your study Bibles right now, the Beatitudes. But unlike Matthew's Beatitudes, Luke's list is shorter, and it also contains a grouping of curses or woes. So what's going on here with Jesus and his preaching? What can we learn from this sermon? What does it have to do with us some 2,000 years later? Turning our eyes back to Luke 6 this morning, the first truth we can see in this scripture passage is that the Beatitudes, no matter if they're from Matthew or from Luke, 
are still all about Christian identity. The strongest correlation between Luke and Matthew's list of Beatitudes is the word that makes them Beatitudes in the first place. Blessed. Now, when I was a youth leader uh, down in Oklahoma, we did a youth study on the Beatitudes, and in my students, uh, some 20 years ago now, uh, never knew them as the Beatitudes. Those, those students referred to them as the blessed arthas. That's what they called them. And, and, and what makes something a Beatitude is that it communicates blessing. But what's interesting and specific, especially in the teaching of the Gospels, is that blessed, or the concept of blessing, is a word in Scripture that is strongly associated with salvation. And this is the point where so many Christians go off track when it comes to interpreting the Beatitudes. Because so many Christians, for them, the Beatitudes are a listing of positive attitudes or behaviors to emulate and cultivate and practice so that we might receive a blessing from God. But if we go too far down that road, we end up turning what is a beautiful gospel promise into the burden of the law. And we end up going places where we ought not to go, but we'll get to that in a moment. Because the law is certainly coming. But here's where Luke's Beatitudes stand as unique. Not only do we have the salvation word blessed, but we also have a theme that is developed in these four short blessings. The focus of Jesus' teachings on the Beatitudes in Luke is on those who suffer in the here and now. They are poor. They are hungry. They weep. They are persecuted and attacked on their account of their faith in Jesus Christ. What does this tell us about the nature of Beatitudes and salvation? What it tells us is that salvation is a gift for those who have eternity on their minds. The promise of salvation is one that delivers hope for eternity. Those who suffer then, whether it be actual poverty or being poor in spirit like Matthew talks about, actual hunger or hungering and thirsting for righteousness like Matthew talks about, actual mourning or sorrow over sins, or actual persecution, those people are the people whom God has put in a position to hear the gospel, receive the gospel, and be comforted. And if there's anything about the gospel that is absolutely true, is that it is given by God for our comfort. It's not a reward in the way that we see rewards. It's not a carrot tied to a string at the end of a stick. For those in need of comfort, God gives the gospel. And the comfort the gospel delivers is the hope of eternity. 
The hope of something better than right here and right now. The hope of the relief from pain. The relief from sorrow. The relief from suffering under sin. Switching to the woes, we would also here identify the truth that these woes are a matter of identity as well. As I said before, part of the uniqueness of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain is that the blessings of the Beatitudes are paired with the curses or warnings from this list of woes. There are a couple of important truths we should identify with the woes. First of all, just like blessing is important or blessed in the Beatitudes, the nature of the word woe is just as important. Woe is a theme that you can find throughout Scripture. I did a quick word search on my Bible software this week, and the word woe shows up in 23 different books of Scripture. That's slightly over one-third of all of the books have woe in there somewhere. It had an important cultural role for the ancient Jews It was a liturgical word used in funerals. In the situation that Scripture paints for us in all of these places where woe is used is that it is highly likely if you heard someone using the word woe and you aren't Keanu Reeves, the appropriate follow-up question would have been, who died? That's the purpose of woe is that you are mourning. It's the word for mourning. Which means that when woe shows up in a sermon or in a prophecy, instead of at a funeral, the warning is dire and drastic. And when the prophets, or when Jesus Christ preaches, woe to you, The answer to the question, who died, is you. You either have died or you're about to die. Secondly, the woes Jesus preaches here in the Sermon on the Plain are matched up perfectly with the Beatitudes. There are four each, and each of the four Beatitudes perfectly contradict the four woes. Poor is contrasted by rich. Hungry is contrasted by full. Weeping is contrasted by laughter. And persecution is contrasted by popularity. Which means that the blessings of the Beatitudes and the hope of eternity must also be perfectly contrasted by the consequences and the curses of the woes. And the curses of the woes are simply this. Those who find and derive their comfort in this life only will not not be open to receiving the comfort of the gospel. The woes are given to those who are wrapped up in their creature comforts and have no need for repentance. The woes are given to unbelievers. And it is here, at this point, where we must guard ourselves against the final trap that the modern church so often falls into. 
If you're not careful with this passage and only look at it on the surface level, what you could walk away thinking is that poverty and sadness and hunger and suffering at the hands of your fellow man, in short, temporal suffering is what makes one ready for salvation and, in fact, might actually save you. What you have here is a wide open path in the wrong direction to pure social gospel where it's only your status in life that matters before God. And then what you end up with is the opposite confession that wealth, enjoyment, satisfaction, and good, healthy relationships are frowned upon as undesirable. Throughout the generations, many a miserable Christian has been made by trying to emulate this actuality in life. Think of the vows of poverty that the monks took, or the vows of hunger, or any such thing. But it is precisely when those thoughts start to creep in that we remember that both the Beatitudes and the woes aren't describing attitudes or even conditions in society. They're describing identities. And that is when we realize that what separates the targets of Jesus' Beatitudes from the targets of the curses in his woes is repentance. For those in their identities who are poor, hungry, mourning, and persecuted, these are the ones who cry out to God in repentance for mercy. And the blessings of the Beatitudes is mercy. Whoever and whenever they cry out for mercy, God always meets those cries with the comfort of the gospel. But for those in their identities, who are content with the material possessions of this temporal life, are content with being comfortable, those who derive their comfort from creature comforts, if you will, if that is your identity, there is no comfort for the gospel because that person's not looking for comfort. They're fine just the way they are. The difference is in the repentance. And then there's just one last error to clear up. The comfort of the gospel as the hope of eternity is what is offered in the Beatitudes to the children of God whom Christ has redeemed. That's the truth here. But this now is not to say that God will fail to provide our temporal and material relief when we need it. The truth of it all is that if you are poor, if you are hungry, if you are suffering under sorrow right now, God not only gives you the hope of eternity, but the relief he grants you in the here and now is because of eternity, is because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not continue to give us all good things? For those who find themselves in need, for those who are suffering, for those who are beaten and battered by the trials of life, The message here 
in the Beatitudes is that God's blessings always come through to us. Now, this is not a guarantee that an envelope full of cash from heaven will drop into your mailbox and relieve you from the stress of your bills. This is not to guarantee that a diagnosis of cancer will automatically be met with healing. This is not to guarantee that tomorrow you won't have the same tears of sadness you had today. But the guarantee for you is that God loves you, that he cares about you, and that he knows what you are going through. And the seal of this is the fact that he put his son on the cross in your place and he rose his son from the grave. And this truth, the reality of Jesus Christ, is the seal that God loves and continues to provide for you. Because God's assessment of you, his evaluation of you, his opinion of you isn't based on you performing the, the, the things that the Beatitudes command. It's not dependent on you cultivating these virtues and avoiding these vices. God's opinion of you is only ever and always Jesus Christ in your place. So that when you hear the comfort of the Beatitudes, when you hear these promises, they are yours right now, even as you suffer because of Jesus. The Beatitudes are yours in Christ because you are God's in Christ. Amen. Now, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.